0: I distinctly remember hearing someone yell, stop that van. From CBC Podcast, an investigation into how young men are being recruited and radicalized on the internet. And she asked me if I was friends with a guy named Alec Manassian.
1: By a new supercharged form of hate. On Facebook, police say he wrote the incel rebellion has already begun. A dark online subculture that's spilling over into the real world. Boys Like Me, available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Before he retired, Barry Store specialized in aircraft repair at Bombardier. Nowadays, he picks up work, cooking in restaurants when he can, but sometimes money's tight.
2: Myself and I know a, a lot of people, even though they're working, they always have one paycheck away from being homeless. I look at my tax returns sometimes, and I think to myself sometimes, what? Where did that money go?
1: Just over a year ago, Barry was forced to leave his Montreal apartment, and he had to look for a place to live, and ended up in a local shelter where they offered help.
2: They sit you down with a a counselor who, who asks you things, like, what brought you there? Was it drugs, alcohol, finance, whatever? And I mentioned to that it was neither of those. I just, my apartment was going under uh, renovation, and I needed a place to crash, and they obliged me.
1: The workers at the shelter told Barry about a new program being run by a local charity, the Welcome Hall Mission. The program would provide him with a few months' rent and some money for food.
2: Boy, I wish I had a word to describe it. But it was really, really it was awesome. I, I had no idea about the program. I was very much appreciative of the program.
1: The program is called Rapid Entry to Housing. Sam Watts is the CEO of Welcome Hall Mission. He's in our Montreal studio. Sam, good morning. Good morning,
3: Matt. This is a fascinating idea. Can you tell me how it works? Well, it's actually relatively simple it's It's crazy simple because what we're doing is we're trying to capture uh, and accompany people before they end up in the depths of homelessness. It's a little bit like a river, so you get the you come alongside people while they're in the shallows before they hit the rapids. So what we just heard from that gentleman is a typical story of somebody who just began to experience homelessness. And so, what we do is come alongside them and we're able to, thanks to the funding that we receive, uh, it actually comes from the federal government through the province via the CIUS Santra Sud sounds complicated, but we're able to take that funding and in a very flexible way, apply it to people who need it by paying some of their rent. So if they need two or three months to get back on their feet, we do that and also making sure that they have gift cards to purchase furniture, uh, to purchase food to get them started, and to make sure that they can move into a place that's uh, suitable and affordable.
1: Typically, how much money would you be
3: giving people? Well, it's averaging out now for uh, all of the people that we've been able to serve at around $11,000 per person to house them. And that's all, uh, when you look at other programs that are out there, this is extremely cost-effective because it gets people back on their feet. And so we've been able to house uh, since uh, uh, mid-2021, 344 people, and uh, at an average cost of about $10,000 to get them back and on their feet. And today, 84% of those people are still... In housing and thriving. And I think that's, uh, that points to the success of the program for a certain type of individual. And I want to point out, yeah. Matt, that it doesn't answer the entire complex social challenge of homelessness, but it does address a particular dimension of it that's very important. Tell me more about that certain type of visual, individual. Again, the person who's, who's, as you say, standing
1: in the shallows of, of the river, hoping not to be swept up. Um, who, If you take a look at the demographic, who
3: would you be directing this program toward? Well, the the case that we heard about is actually reasonably typical. Somebody who's just uh, struggling and a few dollars away from homelessness. Uh, Unable to pay their rent or they're part of maybe a a classic rental eviction. The landlord wants to renovate the apartment. Maybe it's legitimate even. And so now they're looking for a place. The other uh, group is people who are relatively new arrivals to the city who fall through the cracks of the refugee and asylum seeker programs that are here in Quebec. And uh, we've seen a, a fair amount of success with that type of individual as well. Because in many cases, these are folks who are coming from other countries. They're middle class folks from that country. They're uh, often people who are very innovative and very motivated to get working and to get moving. And so this is the kind of program that gives people, uh, we like to call it a boost. Mm-hmm. And so we've got people who walk alongside them for a couple of months, and then they're on their own. And uh, that's why I think it's it's a, a wonderful thing, because that's what we want to do, is we want people to become independent. so that. They they don't need Welcome Hall Mission walking alongside them. And the belief is that if they
1: get that boost enough to get them into that apartment and the fridge is full of food and maybe they have um, you know, a pair of boots for, for the winter weather or, or a warm coat or something like that, that that would be enough to help jumpstart a process such that they would be able to be self-sufficient, that they could get employment, for example, and that they could stay in that apartment.
3: Yes, and and we've proven that it works, um, and it it works at scale. And so now we're on, uh, I think it's the seventh iteration of this particular program. And it's very interesting how it got started because we were noticing all these new arrivals coming in, uh, new people, new faces that we were seeing during the middle of the pandemic. And so the CS Sainthra Sud came to us and said, well, look, uh, if we had a million dollars, how many people could you house? And we did some quick calculations and we said, we think a 100. And if you do the math, that's about $10,000. And it turns out we were right. Uh, we housed about 103 people, I think, in the first iteration mm-hmm. of that program. And so now it's just continuing. And we'd love to do, be able to do it at a higher scale than what we're doing right now. And if this program wasn't available, as you understand it, I and mean, you heard a little bit of it there from, from Barry off the top, um, where would these people end up? Well, I think the problem, and this is something that all of us who work in the sector know, that the longer someone circulates in the ecosystem of homelessness without being able to uh, arrive at some sort of a solution or to receive the care that they that they need, the worse off they become and the harder then it becomes to help them back into housing. Uh, Chronicity is a terrible thing because what happens too to people is this becomes the new normal for them. And, you know, they don't they, they see going back into housing as a bit of a risk. And so that's where we need to come in and walk alongside people and show them that we can actually help them. This program, on the other hand, makes sure that people don't fall into that particular uh, set of rapids, if you want to continue with the river analogy. Yeah. How do you find affordable places for people to live in? I mean,
2: Montreal...
1: I know this because I spend a lot of time there, uh, is is, is, uh, still a relatively, I say this in quotation marks, a relatively affordable city in the grand scheme of things, but not immune certainly to the housing crisis that we're seeing coast to coast to coast. So how are you finding places where you can house people
3: at an affordable rate? Well, to some extent, you've touched on the, the magic sauce here because Montreal is in a unique position with a complement of housing that is unlike any other city in North America. And uh, so, you know, my, the the fact that I I get to see what goes on in the rest of North America, we're kind of fortunate in Montreal, but what we've been doing, Matt, for the last uh, 10 years or so is we've been rehousing people. And a lot of these folks are housed with landlords that we know. So we've developed a relationship with, I think it's 191 landlords. They're small to medium sized landlords with places and they know who we are. They understand what we do. They know that we're going to walk alongside the people that get places and they know that eventually the rent is going to be paid. And uh, that's been the relationship with the landlords has been really key Mm. to the success of this program. And so I would counsel any other uh, town or city that's thinking of doing this to develop relationships with existing property owners and then to make sure that you work with them to make them comfortable with this sort of a program because that's one of the important uh, uh, bits of magic that, that makes it work. So we spoke with one of those property owners who is housed three people through your program.
1: Have a listen. To Fariel Manai, in
0: translation.
3: I, for one, love the program. You always have to give people a chance. We can't judge people. Everyone goes through difficult times, times where we arrive in a country where we know no one. Every one of us could lose our job or have personal difficulties. So do good to have good. That's my philosophy in
1: life. Do good to have good. I mean, it sounds great. Um, how difficult
3: is it to convince landlords to take part? She sounds like she's right on board. Yeah, we we haven't found a great deal of difficulty, but it takes time, and you have to prove yourself so that the landlord knows that uh, that when we come knocking at the door with somebody, that they're ready to accept that somebody. What do you what do you, what are you up against in terms of like? Are, is is there a
1: stigma that's in front of you? Is there concerns that that the rent won't be paid? What do you have? What are you against, and how do you
3: get past that? Well, I think right now, like everywhere else in Canada, we're up against a shortage of housing. Mm -hmm. So even though Montreal is in a better position than many other North American cities, uh, we're dealing with uh, competition for affordable housing. And that's something that needs to be worked on, but it's it's a longer-term problem. You can't snap your fingers and have a, you know, a whole bunch of affordable housing available. Um, so that's the biggest competition. But I think as well, what I would see in the reality of landlords and tenants is a landlord is going to want to rent to somebody that they're relatively confident will pay the rent. And that's where organizations like ours, we've been around since 1892, we're well-known in the city. And so we uh, accompany somebody to an interview for a potential apartment we're usually well received we're out of time but let me ask you very quickly two things
1: one is you are also a member of the federal government's national housing council you have the ear of government in in a time when we are all scrambling to try to figure out how to address this housing issue what do you say to to the minister to members of government about the potential of a
3: program like this Well, what I can tell you is what I say to Minister Fraser, and uh, he is a very quick study, I want to add. What we say is this is the time to act. Uh, Canada is in a unique position uh, where we're a wealthy country. There is no reason why anybody should not be able to have adequate housing in this country. Uh, The housing system in Canada works for 80% of the people. There's 20% who need some help and some assistance. And we need to redesign and rethink how we approach housing in this country. And the good news is we can do it. The numbers are not so high that we need to shift gears and completely undo the system. What we need to do is just make a shift that will uh, help us get to the point where we can actually house all Canadians in an affordable way. And uh, if we don't get started soon, we're going to find ourselves looking at a situation that's similar to what we see in the United States. And I don't think we want that. And I guess just finally and briefly, I mean, do you see this as replicable,
1: replicable across the country? One of the reasons why this is really interesting, that I wanted to talk to you about this, is because it, you said it's not a solution to homelessness, but it, it's an intervention. It's, it's something that's doing something for an issue that almost seems too big for people to figure out how to, to, to address. So is this something that you could see play out across the country?
3: Oh, absolutely. And I think the challenge in some markets like Toronto and Vancouver would be to find the right kind of housing in the right location. But I think it's certainly replicable in a lot of our Canadian cities and towns. Mm -hmm and I think it's necessary. The answer to homelessness is is relatively simple in theory, but hard to implement. We just need to do a better job of prevention. We need to make sure we capture people early in in the cycle so that they don't linger in homelessness. And the third thing we need to do is develop solutions for people who represent really complex challenges. There's a lot of that out there, and there's a lot of solutions that we haven't yet developed for people who are truly vulnerable. Really glad to talk to you about this, Sam. Thank you very much. You're very welcome,
1: Matt. Sam Watts is the CEO of Welcome Hall Mission. He was in our Montreal studio.
3: Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Café with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Café with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Café. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart. And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your
0: podcasts.
1: Amanda Bucknia is a strategy, policy, and innovation specialist at the Canadian Observatory on Homelessness. And she's been listening. She's with me in our studio in Toronto. Good morning to you. Good
0: morning. Thanks for having me. What do you
1: make of this idea?
0: I think it's great. I mean, uh, listening to Sam talk about this program, it really does address this um, particular need to support people when they're just at that point of crisis. Um, And unfortunately, so many of our uh, supports really don't kick in until people are uh, getting quite sick and uh, have been on the streets for quite a long time. He says you
1: have to catch people early.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yes.
1: Do we have a sense as to as to what, if you were able to scale this program up, what kind of difference it could make? How many people are there that are waiting? I'm mean, going to use his analogy. They're standing at the edge of the river and they're, they're just hoping not to be swept up, but they're standing in the water right now.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, one of the ways that we estimate people that are at that level of risk is by looking at something like the level of core housing need. In Canada, the most recent Stats Canada um, estimate was about 1.5 million households. Um, so that's quite a significant group of people who are in, at a point where their housing is either inadequate or just completely unaffordable. Um, so there is a great deal of people that are just on that cusp, that uh, if they were to maybe have like uh, they're they're, they're rent evicted, they're in a situation where they are told that they need to find new housing. They've been stably housed for a while. They've been paying their rent, but coming into this rental market that is quite intensely expensive, they're just not able to um, to 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 cut it. Basically, how much of
1: emphasis is put right now on efforts to to prevent homelessness in in the first place, to catch those people before they fall?
0: I think there's, I mean, it's promising that there is some work to do prevention, but I would say that definitely needs to be much more robust. I think um, when we look at most of our response to homelessness is focused on that emergency intervention. So providing shelter, food supports, um, some of these programs that provide some rental assistance, but we need to be looking further upstream. Um, it's it's not something that comes out of the blue, for, especially um, the work that I do uh, at the Canadian Observatory on Homelessness focuses on youth. Mm. Um, and so for youth, it's not always a like, lack of... affordability to get into housing but for them it's primarily uh, um, being kicked out of home Um, so we need to think about the different systems and sectors that all have a role to play um, in preventing people from becoming homeless in the first place Um, there's a lot of people in things institutions like hospitals and in prisons um, who sometimes don't have a place to go when they leave and that creates a bit of a cycle and so while programs like this are great for those folks that are just need some help to st- stabilize what's happening in their lives. There's a number of other avenues that we have yet to really fully explore in terms of prevention.
1: We've been looking and having a series of conversations about, and again, solutions is maybe not the right word, but interventions mm-hmm. um, that are helping people in a rapid way. The community in you know, Kingston, uh, where they were buying up houses, mm-hmm. for example, or Peterborough, pardon me, um, and looking at putting people into apartments um, that otherwise would not be able to get into those apartments them. Do you see other interventions or solutions that are on the horizon right now? Things that people are doing in a meaningful way to address this crisis?
0: Yes, absolutely. So, um, I mean, Housing First is one uh, solution that people have been pointing to for some time in Canada. What is that, just for people who don't know? So Housing First is a model that was developed in the 90s by uh, Samson Barris, and it was initially called Pathways to Housing. Essentially, the idea is you bring um, permanent housing with no preconditions, People need housing, you house them, and then you provide voluntary wraparound supports that meet individuals' interests and needs um, to, and this is specifically targeted at folks like um, Sam was talking about, those folks that have been in homelessness for a long time, chronically homeless, so folks that have been homeless for more than six months, sometimes many years, and are also dealing with significant mental health and substance use support needs. Um, So this is a model that has been shown to work with that population. Um, It's a a pretty small group of folks um, in terms of the entire homelessness population, But when we're also, like, there's a ton of work that we're doing around youth that's really um, positive and inspiring. So things to work upstream, actually a project called the Upstream Project that gets into schools to provide um, some assistance in connecting young people that might be coming up to a crisis point or struggling to connect with community supports before um, things get to a crisis point. Uh, There's um, work to address Indigenous youth homelessness um, through addressing Housing First to work for those uh, young people and, and youth in general. So there's a lot of different ways if we think about like a continuum of support um, from very early prevention, doing things like structural prevention, where you'd be developing uh, more non-market housing, to the systems prevention I mentioned, like um, intervening by providing discharge planning and, and ensuring that people leave, that are leaving public systems gets housing, to those more crisis intervention and uh, housing stability programs that we're hearing about through uh, like this Montreal example and Housing First.
1: Sam is pretty optimistic. Yes. I mean, is this a solvable problem, do you think? What is yeah. it? Well, I mean, if you look, take a look at what you've just rattled off in terms of that list of interesting <laughs> programs that are happening, what Sam was talking about, the other things that we've talked about, is, is it solvable?
0: Yeah, I mean, we've got the tools. I think it's a, a matter of will, um, on especially <laughs> on the part of like- Which is
1: not a, a laughing matter, but it no, seems I, obvious in some ways.
0: It, it really does. And I mean, I think that can be sometimes the frustrating point. And also uh, the hopeful point is that we do have all the tools here. It's a matter of bringing all of these systems. I and mean, when we talk about a cross systems approach, I think a lot of the time, the issue of housing homelessness gets tossed around between different orders of government, dist- different systems. It's nobody's particular jurisdiction and yet everybody needs a place to live. So by taking a more cross-systems approach where everybody is taking accountability for the role that they have to play, which may be different depending on if you're the health sector versus the housing sector or education, but when we all bring those resources together and instead of just kind of like working in like little pockets to do these really incredible things and knitting it all together into an actual safety net for folks that responds to them wherever they're at on that kind of like point in time or um, in previous to crisis, I think that we really could make a difference. Um, And yeah, so I'm hopeful, but I think there's a lot more to do, especially on the housing end of things to ensure that these programs actually are supported. Because as you mentioned with Sam, like, a lot of the crux of these programs working is having affordable housing. Where can you
1: put people in the first place? Yes. Yeah. What did you just say, though? It's nobody's specific jurisdiction, but everybody needs a place to live.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: It's a really powerful way of thinking about it. That's what I think. Find the will. Amanda, thank you very much. Thank you. Amanda Bucknia is the Strategy, Policy, and Innovation Specialist at the Canadian Observatory on Homelessness. She was with me in our studio in Toronto.
2: For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca podcasts.